Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at uh, a miracle that's very well known if you've grown up in the church. Even if you haven't, perhaps you've heard about it. But it's a phenomenal story of Christ healing a man who was paralyzed, who was brought to him by his friends. In this church, we believe that this isn't just uh, a metaphor, but it's actually an event that took place so that Jesus could reveal his authority, not only over physical things, but also over the spiritual. In other words, he was God and had the ability to forgive sins. Listen as I read from Mark 2, beginning at verse 1 through verse 12. You can follow along in the bulletin. And when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together that there was no more room not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In order to understand what's happening, Jesus was walking upon the earth. He'd started his ministry. And at this point, because he was healing people and he was delivering people from demonic oppression, because he was doing and teaching amazing things, crowds were beginning to press in on him. Last week, we looked at how Jesus healed a leper. He instructed the leper to do certain things and not do certain things. And the leper disobeyed. And because of that, the fame of Jesus began to spread and as it spread, he could no longer go into these villages in the same way, but was ministering out in desolate places. So that's been happening. Now it says that he returns home. And home is Capernaum. And home, it could have been Peter's home. We're not exactly sure. But home is where he is when suddenly the crowds begin to press in on Jesus as well. So to remind you, last week we looked at how Jesus on the Sabbath was teaching in the synagogue. And as he was teaching, those listening had never heard anything like it. His teaching alone caused them to be astonished. But so did the way he handled the man who created the disruption. Jesus was powerful because he was God. Jesus was speaking truth in a way nobody had ever spoken before because he was God. So here, Jesus returns. Before he left Capernaum, he was in Peter's home. And after dinner that night, and when three stars appeared, signifying that the Sabbath was over, folds of people who were sick and demon-possessed came to Jesus. 
We have no idea how late into the night he went healing and delivering people, but we know it was late. Now Jesus is back in the same place, the same city, the same town, Capernaum. And now the crowds are coming again. One that's going to be coming is a man that could never get himself there. He's a man who's paralyzed. Clearly, he has heard about Jesus. He has heard that Jesus has the power to heal people. The people like him have been healed. And so his friends, it says there's four of them, meet him, pick him up on his stretcher, and bring him to the feet of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this for a little bit. First of all, somewhere on this earth, in this part of the world, this event actually took place. We don't know much about the man who's paralyzed. We don't know how old he is. We don't know much about his family. All we know is that his condition left him physically paralyzed and unable to get himself to Jesus. So now there's four friends, four individuals who seek to get him there. Whenever we're reading a story about Christ and one of the miracles, you need to understand that there's a lot more going on than just the miracle itself. Jesus does things in different scenes. He, in other words, he heals people in different ways. And he says different things at different times because of those who are present around. So who's present? We don't know everyone, but we do know there's a crowd. We can assume there's sick people. It's possible that there were people who were demonically oppressed. And we know the religious people were there. The theologians, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who were leaders in that that realm of religion. And so they're seated there. Now Jesus is preaching. And when Jesus is preaching, here's what he's saying. I have come. The kingdom of God is in our midst. You must repent and believe. Trust in me. That was his message. Christ is in this room. People are bursting out the door because so many have pressed in. So picture that crowd. And in the midst of that crowd sit the very religious. Then suddenly there is an individual being carried by four friends. Now I want you to think about this. I'm not sure which of the friends had the idea to take this man to Jesus. I don't know if it was the paralyzed man's idea that he'd heard about Jesus, that he asked for some people to carry him. I'm not sure. It doesn't tell us. But I know this much, that at some point, they agreed to carry this man to Jesus. Why? Because they believed that he alone could save him. They believed that he alone could heal the man's paralysis. And so they pick up this man on his cot and it's dead weight. That's very heavy. The four of them carry this man towards this home, whether it was Peter or somebody else's, we're not sure. But Jesus is inside. And as they get close to where Jesus is, they encounter a barrier. And the barrier is people. You know, a lot of people, when coming to Jesus, encounter barriers. And a lot of times, the barriers are other people. So watch what happens. They're determined, because of their burden for this man, and the desire to see him heal, and the faith that this man in the house who's teaching could heal him, their burden causes them to be determined. They are not going to step away from bringing their friend to the one and only one that they believe can heal him. 
And so what do they do? They see the crowd. And in order to get this man to Jesus, they could have waited. They could have said, we'll catch him at the end. When crowds begin to move away, we'll suddenly see Jesus. No, their determination is to get this man in the presence of Jesus as soon as possible. So what do they do? They have to climb above the crowd to see the real Jesus. A lot of us do. Tim Keller in teaching about Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed the tree to see Jesus, says sometimes we've got to climb above the crowd to see who Jesus really is. Friends, that's true. Especially the religious crowd. Sometimes people have the wrong view of who Christ really is, what Christ was really about, because people are in the way. In this moment, this man cannot see Jesus, cannot be touched by Jesus, cannot be laid at the feet of Jesus because of the barrier of the crowds. And so what do they do? With their determined faith and creative courage and sacrifice, they carry this man up these steps. Now, homes in this time period were simply single story, for the most part, flat roofs. The roofs had beams that would go across in parallel fashion. Then limbs and thrash and grass and all sorts of other things would be laid across. Then a very thick mud would be packed onto that surface, creating a roof that would be actually very sturdy. Imagine it being about two feet thick. Thick enough, strong enough to hold a dinner party, a place like a deck where people could sit, animals could live and roam. So these men, seeing the crowd, knowing that they had to get this man above the crowd in order to see Jesus with determined faith, sacrifice, creative courage, they move up the steps, carrying this paralyzed man. Think about the weight. When they get to the place that is above Christ, it's not as if they can lift a latch and lower Jesus down. It says that they begin to remove the roof. The sacrifice, they're bringing damage to someone's home. They're lifting the roof off. Now imagine inside, you're listening to Jesus. You know he has authority. You're watching the religious leaders who are seated. And there suddenly you hear the scuffle. Suddenly pieces of dirt begin to drop. And suddenly a hole begins to open and the light comes in. And there you see as a man-sized hole is created for lowering a man who cannot lower himself, lowering a man who cannot walk, lowering a man who is physically paralyzed. I don't know what it sounded like. I don't know what Jesus's face looked like. But all we know is that as the man was lowered and presented to Jesus, it says this in verse 4, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Verse five, and when Jesus saw their faith, interesting, speaking of the four, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, interesting choice of words. It's as if a father speaking to a child, an adult to a child, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, that's not what they expected to hear. They have a burden to see their friend, no matter how old he is, 
How long has he been paralyzed? What made him paralyzed? They have a desire to see their friend be healed like they've seen other people be healed. They have a desire to see their friend walk and they go through this determined moment of faith. They go through this courageous and creative way of getting this man above the crowd to be put at the feet of Jesus. They have sacrificed reputation, humility, and even resources. Someone's gonna pay for the roof, whether it's in money or time in repairing it, but it was worth it because their burden is to get this man in the presence of the only one they believe can save him and heal him. And what does this man say? As he sees their faith, son, your sins are forgiven. Those words were not received with neutral ears. I have no idea what the paralyzed man thought. I had no idea what the friends thought, but I know they had to be shocked by what they heard. What does his sin have to do with this? His problem is his legs, his limbs. It was also not neutral to the religious people who were sitting there. They didn't speak to one another, but Jesus could discern what was going on in their hearts and mind as they were reacting to what he said. It says in verse eight, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Well, we all do that. We all question in our hearts. Some of you have come here today with questions in your heart. Some of you are worshiping online with questions in your heart about Jesus. Jesus perceives what's going on in their hearts and knows that they're asking, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, their theology is actually right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. The problem is in their logic and in their lack of faith to see that the one who said your sins are forgiven is actually God. He actually can forgive sins because he is God. They can't see it. So Jesus, immediately perceiving in his spirit what they're thinking, asked them this question. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Friends, be encouraged. Jesus is God. He not only perceives what you're thinking about him. He not only perceives the questions you might have about him. He knows them. And in knowing them, his word offers you the answers. But sometimes we've got to climb above the crowd to see what this really says about him. Jesus asks, why do you question these things in your heart? And then he says the unthinkable. Which is easier to say? To the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. I wonder how long he let that question hang. But then he says this, so that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. The man couldn't walk. 
The man was carried by friends who cared and who had faith that the one they lowered him to could heal him. They did not bring the man there because of his sins, but what they witnessed and the religious people who were there too and all the crowds was this man, Jesus, who diagnosed the man's real problem first. His main issue was not that he couldn't walk. His main issue was not that he was paralyzed. His main issue was the same issue you have and I have, that spiritually we're paralyzed. Actually, we're worse. Spiritually, we are dead. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He says that of all of us. So what Jesus does is he continues to deliver the message that your greatest problem is sin and your need to be forgiven, to be in relationship with the living God. So Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Shocking, but it's the real problem. To show the religious people and all who were watching that he really was God, he then did what only he could do. He said to the man, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, he rise, he rose up, he picked up his mat and he walked. Notice, he didn't need physical therapy. He didn't need recovery. He didn't need to learn how to walk. He didn't need a walker. He simply did what the man who healed him and who forgave him told him to do. He picked up his cot, he walked out the door, and he went, and I think it's interesting that Jesus told him to go home. What would it have been like to be in the crowd? What would it have been like to watch the dirt from the roof fall down? What would it have been like to hear those words from Jesus? Son, your sins are forgiven. What would it have been like to see him then stand up, carry this cot, go out the door as the crowds, I'm sure, parted in awe and wonder? And then who was waiting for him at home? There's no way he lived by himself. And as he walked through those doors, what did they say? The man had been healed. But one day, that man's legs were going to work no more, along with his liver and his lungs and his heart. Like all, he was going to die. But because of the diagnosis of his first and greater problem, his sin, and because Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, that man would now live forever in his eternal home. Four friends cared enough and believed enough in the one named Jesus that this man could heal their friend. What they didn't expect to hear was, son, your sins are forgiven. What they witnessed was the healing of both his body and his soul. This morning, if you are with us present, online, 
wherever in the world you're watching and worshiping, or right here, and you would say today, I am a Christian. I have rested and received and trusted in this same man, Jesus, for my salvation. I want you to think about something for a moment. Who are the people that carried you to the feet of Jesus? This morning you witnessed three couples carrying their children to the feet of Jesus. You heard many other families who are here because they're carrying their children to the feet of Jesus. If you are a Christian, who carried you to the feet of Jesus? Who was determined in their faith to make sure you could hear the good news about who Christ is? Who are the people that you don't even know about who sit on boards of ministries, who quietly pray for people to come to saving faith? Do you pause very often to just consider all that God did in order to make sure you were carried to himself, his son, our savior? June 23rd, 1982 was the day I prayed for salvation. The man that God used to carry me there was named Tom Miller. You've heard me talk about it. I was at a Young Life camp in Minnesota. I asked Tom, what's wrong with me? I expected to hear lots of things, but I didn't expect to hear sin. I didn't expect for him to open up this book and teach me the Romans road. I didn't expect to hear him say, Jesus is saying, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know you have eternal life. It made sense to me. Christ forgave me. I was his. As soon as that prayer happened, Tom told me to go make a phone call. It was a collect call. Your parents will explain to you later what that means. It was a collect call to my hometown, to his daughter, who was my age, because she and her mom, Tom's wife, Doris, had been praying for my salvation. They carried me to the feet of Jesus. Who carried Tom? Billy Graham on TV. When Tom was lost, paralyzed, worse, dead in his own sin, working in the political machine of DC in the area of defense, he was watching the Billy Graham crusade in order to learn how to become a better speaker. His wife, about six months earlier, had come, come to faith in Christ Jesus. Her and a number of women were praying for her husband. They carried Jesus, I'm sorry, they carried Tom to the feet of Jesus. And the way God designed it was that all those people associated with the Billy Graham crusade who were praying for lost people to come to Christ, God saw fit to use that man's voice through the TV that night as he dropped to his knees. Who did God use to carry you to the feet of Jesus? It's possible if today you're here and you don't know Christ, not yet, that the people you came with or who told you how to tune into our website, they're the ones who have carried you to Jesus. And what they're confident in is that you are watching and worshiping online or being present in a place where Jesus is going to be held out as the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, if you're in Christ, I want to ask you to consider something. First, 
Who is it that carried you to Jesus? Secondly, who are you currently carrying to Christ? Who are the people in your family? Who are your neighbors? Who are your coworkers and classmates? Who are the people that you serve side by side with or that serve you? The world is full of men and women that you know and have relationships with that desperately need to be carried to Jesus. They might not know that the real issue of their life, which is so great, is sin, separation from God, but you know that's true. And the most gracious and most privileged thing we could ever do in Christ is to go and pursue those who don't know him with a desire simply to bring him to a place where people can hear who he is, his word, where we actually can carry people above the crowd so that they can see the real Jesus. In about 60 days, the new building that's being built just south of here, connected to this part of the structure, is going to be completed. Over these last few weeks, I've had lots of days just walking through there. It's dusty, it's dirty, it's amazing what's accomplished when 161 people are working fast and furious with their skills. I put the helmet on and I walk through there and I stare at the doors. I stare at the doors on the exterior and at the doors on the interior and I wanna tell you what I see. I don't see new people just coming to the church because we have amazing programs. That's gonna be true. But what I see is you. I see you carrying men and women through the doors who desperately need to hear who Jesus is. I see you carrying people through the doors with other brothers and sisters so that they can have a glimpse of the one we are seeking to hold out to them. And it's the same man, the same person, the same savior, the same king as we have been reading about this morning. Thousands of people will hear the good news about Jesus if we, as his children, just even once a year, carried somebody through this place. Every time someone comes in, it's my burden, and I hope it's yours, that they see the real Jesus. That their barrier, whatever it might be, they may be lifted above it, and they might see and hear the one who says, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven the privilege of being carried to Jesus and then the privilege of carrying other people to Jesus is the greatest, most privileged opportunity of our life because every one of us will die. But all who have rested and received and trusted in Jesus are gonna rise up and they're gonna walk and they're gonna walk forever 
in their eternal home. Because this man, this Jesus, this God alone can save. He has the authority. He has the power. Have you been carried to Jesus? Are you carrying others to Christ? Father, as we close, I know that it's possible that there are those watching and worshiping online and even those here today who have not thought much of you or have thought wrongly of you or just aren't sure what they believe. I pray, Father, that you would help them carry them above the crowd, that they might see who Christ is, who you are, Jesus. Lord, for those who are already in you, I pray that you would remind us of this incredible privilege, that we would not forget those that you use to bring us to you, and that you would put a fire in our hearts and minds to carry those who are all around us to a place where you are present. Father, as we close in song, singing about this very reality, let us be still for just a bit longer, just to think about what it means to be brought into your presence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.